The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, o Christ. Could we ever have imagined a time when Sunday morning church would be live-streamed from an empty sanctuary? Or could we ever have imagined a time that this college campus would be so quiet? Could we ever have imagined a time when, for nine weeks, malls and restaurants and airports and city centers would be empty? Could we ever have imagined a time when Easter services in Rome would be canceled? when Times Square would be vacant, when the Eiffel Tower would be closed, when Fourth of July fireworks would be canceled. We are living in a time that was unimaginable three short months ago. Think back in your own mind three months ago, as February drew to a close. What were you doing? What were you planning? What were your hopes and dreams and fears then? How have they shifted since then? Three months ago, had you been forced to imagine a pandemic, what would you have imagined? Is this time worse or better than you would have imagined? It's hard to imagine the unknown, or if we try to imagine the unknown, we often imagine something far worse than what is likely. Most people, it seems, fear the unknown or unseen far more than that which is seen. It's why when we're little, we fear monsters under the bed. It's why fear of the dark is a thing. When left to our own devices, what we dream up is often far scarier than reality. This is true for me. The things that I imagine are far more terrifying than things I can actually see with my own eyes. While there is clearly so much evil in the world, I can always imagine far worse. 
Give me enough time and I will create a worst-case scenario for you that is impressively apocalyptic. I'm one of those people who prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Left unchecked, however, too much fear of the unseen and unknown leads to feelings of paranoia. What invisible toxins are in my drinking water? What microscopic creatures live in the pillows on my bed? What germs come home with me on the produce purchased at the market? What unseen droplets fly from my mouth or yours? And which are virus-laden? Which people, all appearing to be perfectly healthy, are in fact asymptomatic carriers of disease? It's enough to make a person go crazy. It's enough to frighten so many people who are now given the green light in all 50 states to re-enter society, to venture back into public after nine weeks of sheltering in place or staying at home. It's a very relevant question today. What is a real fear and what is imagined? At a time when so much of the world is operating out of a philosophy of scarcity, people are imagining circumstances that are far worse than actual reality. People fear food they don't have or can't find far more than actual food in their pantries. It's why we hoard. People fear the rights they don't have or might lose far more than rights they do have. Hence these irrational protests to open states before it's safe. People fear no work more than they fear even their most modest job, as economists predict a 25% unemployment rate for our country. People fear no home more than they fear even the most modest home, as broke tenants face eviction and landlords threaten to cut off utilities. People fear no relationship more than the unfulfilling or maybe even abusive one they're in, clinging to the security of someone versus waiting for the right one. People fear an unseen virus far more than a bandage or cast that can be seen. People fear an unknown or unseen future far more than one that didn't even excite them much in the first place because at least that was a plan. An unseen Jesus is far more frightening than the one we can see and eat with and sleep next to and talk to. In the church year now, we celebrate Jesus' ascension into heaven. Jesus is going away, having accomplished the work that was set before him. This man, whom for 30-odd years has been seen by the world in flesh and blood, will soon be unseen. For the disciples, this seems less a celebration and more a nightmare. They are scared. They prefer the Jesus who walks with them, touches sick people and heals them, flips over tables in anger, argues with religious authorities, laughs, cries. But now Jesus is leaving, and the disciples cannot imagine this. They have just wrapped their heads around who Jesus really is and what he must do. Son of God, who has come to die for the sins of the whole world, he speaks of resurrection, and as if that's not difficult enough to imagine, he now speaks of leaving. Unimaginable. For the disciples, life without Jesus seems far more terrifying than life with Jesus, 
even though life with Jesus has certainly been confusing and baffling. For these 12 who have dedicated their lives to following Jesus, life without him then is inconceivable. If Jesus leaves, they think, surely this fledgling church will fail. Surely Jesus will be forgotten. Surely his work and sermons and miracles will have been in vain. Surely our devotion to him will have been pointless. If Jesus leaves, everything will fall apart. They cannot comprehend life without Jesus. Into this void, then, their imaginations cast terrifying visions of chaos, futility, deterioration, alienation, and isolation. And they do this because sometimes what we imagine is far worse than what is real. If any of you have seen M. Night Shyamalan's movie Signs, Remember that for most of the movie, the aliens are unseen. You catch a shadow of them here and there, only enough to send your imagination reeling. It is terrifying. And yet when the aliens are finally revealed, they are not nearly as scary as what we had imagined. Don't get me wrong, they're plenty scary. So scary, in fact, that I think of them every single time I get up in the middle of the night. So don't show the movie to your toddler and then blame me for emotionally scarring them. But they're not nearly as scary as what the imagination has created on its own. That's why he's a brilliant filmmaker, because he knows that our own imaginations will terrify us more than anything he could create. Ironically, however, this is exactly the scary territory into which Jesus calls the disciples and us as he prepares for his leaving. Faith, after all, is hope for things unseen. Faith then calls us into scary places where eyes serve no purpose, but rather imagination. Faith calls us into places of trust, especially in times when we are afraid or anxious or lonely. Faith calls us into pandemic times when the future is particularly unknown. Faith bids us to follow Jesus with our hearts, not our eyes. Scary times call for brave measures, and faith is the bravest measure of all. To have hope in, not fear of, the unseen and the unknown. In our sightless hope, instead of being terrified by our own imaginations, can we imagine that Jesus loves us as much as he loved the disciples with whom he lived and breathed and ate and slept? Can we imagine that Jesus cares for us and protects us as much as he cared for and protected them? Can we imagine that when Jesus prays for protection for those whom he loves, he knows what we need protection from most is ourselves? Not the evil in our minds, the demons at work of whom Peter writes, tries to convince us that Jesus is leaving and will be gone for good, never having loved us in the first place, because we are unlovable and unworthy. Can we imagine a spirit who binds together people of all tongues and faiths and orientations and socioeconomic positions, casting none out, celebrating all? Can we imagine a world, all nations, so loved by God that God's Son can love us every bit from his place at his father's right hand as physically walking next to us. 
Can we imagine that we can know Jesus' love even if he no longer physically travels these roads or preaches to those crowds or touches those sick people? Indeed, we can imagine this. Many of us know the love of another person who isn't physically with us anymore, separated by time or space or death. Look at us now, loving one another while being physically apart. Physical proximity, then, has nothing to do with profound love. Do I love my sons less when they are not in the same room as me? Do I love Doug less when he goes away to work? By no means. Love prevails and transcends time and space. In fact, love can even flourish in times when we are apart. I fell deeply in love with Doug when he was 800 miles away in California. And as a mother, there have been countless times when my sons have astonished me in what they have done in my absence, times when they've created something or fixed something or handled something in ways I never could have anticipated. Similarly, Jesus knows he has raised his children well, taught them, equipped them for life in this world, and now it is time for him to go. And he is prepared to be surprised by us and overjoyed by us as we carry on his work in his absence. Perhaps the disciples and we can imagine life with an ascended Jesus to be as good as, perhaps even better, than life with Jesus physically present. Perhaps the disciples and we can trust our strength and abilities enough to say to Jesus, you go on. You've taught us what we need to know. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, protest injustice. Go on, we got this. Perhaps Jesus is like a mother weaning the child from the breast, or a father teaching a child to ride a bike without training wheels, or a grandparent teaching a little one to walk, saying, you think you need this, but you don't. You can do this on your own now. But remember me, because I will always be with you. Maybe Jesus leaves us to set us free, to love him in a way we could not do had he remained physically present, when we easily could obsess over him, even trying to own him, casting him into our own racial and socioeconomic image. Had Jesus remained, his followers easily could have turned him into an idol or a cult of personality. Maybe Jesus leaves not to abandon us to the nightmarish power of our own imaginations, but to gift us endless possibilities of what grace and goodness and love can look like if imagination is allowed to blossom. It is true, many times things turn out worse than we ever could have imagined, but it is also true, sometimes then they turn out even better a book can be better than you ever imagined, or a meal, or a movie, or a relationship, or a job. Jesus' ascension is a surprising way for God to reassure us that all will be well, even in times of panic and pain. That an ascended Lord is not an absent Lord. That God still exists, and Jesus still reigns, the Spirit still gathers, even when our eyes see no evidence of these things. Ascension is God's way of reawakening within each one of us a sense of childlike wonder and hope 
wildly trusting in something that defies logic, an unconditional grace that transcends time and space. Ascension is God's proclamation that you are loved from across the table, from across the room, from across the world, from across the universe. Ascension is the miracle that connects the physical and finite life of Jesus to his infinite and eternal presence as the word of God, present even when the world began. Ascension is God's promise that even though we imagine the worst when faced with the unknown, God gives us the very best, infinite, unconditional, unlimited love for all people and nations. This sure and certain love is far better than anything we ever could have possibly imagined. Amen.